0: It is the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast with your host and conductor, Anthony Smith. What do we have on top? Well, only way to find that out, you have to tune in. You have to grab your ticket, get on board, put your seatbelt on. Most importantly, enjoy the ride. That's right. It is the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. Your host and your conductor, Anthony Smith. And we are getting ready to get this train on the track. So let's get
1: rolling
2: hey what's happening it's rick thomas with
0: running the table and you already know you are on board the a train hang on for the ride Guest on the train today. I done went all the way to Maryland and New Mexico to pick up a couple of passengers. And these guys are actually bold enough to trust me behind the wheels of a locomotive. I have the one and only James Goodman on the phone and Ed Nunez. And I met these guys in a very buffoonery chat room. <laughs> A lot of foolishness goes on, and guys that make sense like the two guests I have on, they just don't listen to. But I want to welcome to the A-Train Sports Talk podcast two of my good friends from all parts of the world and in between, James Goodrum and Ed Nunez. Guys, welcome aboard the train.
1: Thanks so and much, for having us.
0: And this is going to actually be the debut of a new segment called Point and Counterpoint. Now, these two guests are very knowledgeable. They're good friends of mine and very loyal passengers. And like I said, we met in this chat room. It's called Dak Prescott versus Tony Romo. Really, is that what we're doing? We're comparing Dak to Romo, Romo to Dak. But that's neither here nor there. But an interesting topic came up last week, and... It's the first time I've ever known these guys to not see eye to eye, but at the same time, they do it in such a professional manner that it's going to bring some enlightenment to this podcast. And the name is Cam Newton. Should Cam Newton be signed by the Cowboys or should he not be signed by the Cowboys? I see James's point, but I also see Ed's point. By the time this segment is over, maybe everybody will be able to see the layout and why Cam should or why Cam shouldn't be a Cowboy. So, Ed, you were the first one I seen that said, no, no way, please no. So state your case why Cam shouldn't be a Cowboy.
1: I think uh, for me, again, a lot of respect uh, to the former 2015 MVP, but it's been a while since we've seen him play at that level new england was a not a good fit at all i was surprised that bill belichick even signed him it was not a good fit and what i mean by that you know the the the, uh and james knows much more about patterns and schemes and offensive uh, philosophy than i do uh you know a lot of timing patterns there with brady i don't think his strength is a pie is is a as a pocket pattern so i didn't think uh it was you know and, and we haven't seen the running cam and, you know, since he got hurt, we have not seen any, a phenomenal athlete back in 2015. The Superman is uh, very entertaining, right? So I didn't think that was a good fit in New England. You know, Going back to Carolina last year, he wins that first game and, you know, does the Superman. I'm back, you know, and I'm keeping my eye, uh, eye on him because he's an exciting player. I may like the Dallas Cowboys, but I enjoy the National Football League. So when I was watching the percentage of completions is down, does he have a big time number one receiver in Carolina? Um, probably not what he uh, used to have back in the day when he was, uh, you know, he was the MVP. But again, his threat was from the pocket. A lot of it was from the pocket, big, strong, mobile, can roll out, extend plays. Mm -hmm. And I just don't think we've seen that the last two seasons. So, you know, and and, right now the, uh, the backup quarterback is Cooper Rush won one game, right? He won a game last year against Minnesota. And can can the Cowboys do better than Cooper Rush? Uh, They can. I just don't know if it's going to be Cam Newton. I would be very surprised, uh, J- uh, James and Anthony, if the Dallas Cowboys sign Cam Newton.
0: All right. Well, James, let me hear your take on why he should be a, in the Cowboy uniform. First
2: of, all, first of all, I want to give you all the credit in the world here. Yeah, that was an excellent breakdown. and I actually touched on a lot of my points that I was going to make. And um, like I said, when I, when I speak balance the, and intelligence football, from a football standpoint, that's what I'm talking about. You didn't completely slam the guy. You gave him reasons why against and reasons why, potentially for. In terms of my reasons for, I think what I'm looking at is he's an established NFL quarterback. As Ed uh, mentioned, he was a a former MVP back in 2015 light years ago. And um, At this point in time in the game, we realize that he's not that guy anymore. What I do look at with Cam Newton is the fact that he, despite uh, what he's saying, I think that Cam Newton is still a threat with his legs. So I think even, I think he scored eight, uh, Cam, and I, I actually meant to research this, but I think he actually scored eight touchdowns rushing with the New England Patriots. So it's one of those things, he's still a situational quarterback with his legs, particularly down in the red zone. And then that's, an, that's an area right now where we struggle in. You can use Cam in certain in certain packages i mean i know the saying is always if you have two quarterbacks you don't have one but that's not true in dallas's case because we do have one in that prescott we just need uh support around systems when we start to get in the second and 12s and the second and 15s and the third and eleventh we can bring cam newton in and he can get you a first down or close to a first down rushing the running the ball and you're also as a threat as a passer because whereas he might not be a guy that can beat you with his arm consistently anymore. One thing that 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 uh, Cam Newton is is a rhythm passer. When when Cam is on, he's on. I mean, he is a threat throwing in the seams. He's a threat throwing outside. He's a threat throwing the deep crosses and things of that nature. When he's in rhythm, where he does struggle is on vertical routes. When the play breaks down, he's not very accurate with the football. When the guys are scrambling all over the place. He's got to scramble deal you because know, he tries to rely on his arm too much. And he does not have the proper technique as a pastor to put his foot in the ground and drive the ball mm. when it's an off schedule throw. Going to the, uh, the, the cam being 2015, unfortunately, like you said, we don't really have a good look because he had limited chances with the Pats and Panthers due to the receivers in, in the room the same thing that Tom Brady had, and that's why he moved on from New England and went on the greener pastures with uh, Tampa Bay, and of course, won a Super Bowl. Um, and looking at the available free agents on the market, none of them none of them float my boat. We're talking about Ryan Fitzpatrick, we're talking about Mike Lennon, A.J. McCarron, Garrett Gilbert, and Josh Rosen. And if, even if we look at our own team, people are hyping the fact that uh, Cooper Rush went into Minnesota and won a game, okay? He went into Minnesota and won a game in idealistic dome conditions. Now, I would hate to see us in the playoffs in bad weather, say in Green Bay, or in one of the northern cities, trying to win a playoff game with Cooper Rush because he has about 35 yards at the most on his arm. So with Cam Newton, he has proven that he can travel, he can run the ball, when the plays break down and he has an arm strength to cut the ball through as long as you manage the situations for him. Hmm.
0: See, see, if I was going to argue against either one of you guys, I'd be in a losing battle because, like I say, I see where both of you guys are coming from. But since you brought up the name Cooper Rush, and, yes, he did go into Minnesota, and I have to say I was impressed, but I also think another thing that helped Cooper Rush, as opposed to, say, the year before, or Andy Dalton, is this right here. The team had his back. And that means a whole lot. When the team has your back, that boosts your confidence level. So with that being said, is Cam Newton a locker room guy fit for the Dallas Cowboys, as opposed to, say, Cooper Rush? Who would you rather see as your number two quarterback, Cooper
1: Rush or Cam Newton? I think that's uh, that's an excellent question now you you know and James, you made some excellent points concerning cam Newton especially about the part of driving the ball right the mechanically uh his mechanics have not been always been the greatest he relied on athleticism, which carried him for a long time, some of that athleticism is gone right. And sometimes he doesn't drive the ball through, and sometimes you, you look at him and he makes an amazing throw and you know right, you know, splits uh, defenders, and uh, you know you're on off to the races. Um, that I think that's a good point that Anthony brings up. You know, Cam Newton is going to be Cam Newton, right? He's got a, a, a large persona. He's going to come in with the hats and and dress how he. Did. That's that's Cam, and no no one's going to take that away from him, nor sh- should they. Uh, that's 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 his moxie. That's what he does. So as far as the locker room guide, and that's an excellent question and an excellent point. You know, a lot of people would say, hey, you know, is there going to be a, a tug of leadership there? And, you know, it, it, and we, we laugh about it because there's no there's no question who the leader in that locker room is. It's uh, Dak Prescott. But there's, you know, people on our little uh, group. Right. They would immediately try to say, well, it's, uh, it's Cam Newton. that's the leader and this and that. Right. Ridiculous things that we know aren't true. So, you know, it, but the press loves to stir stuff up. They do. We know that. Um, so I think Steve that's, Nick a question. I, I, again, I'd be very surprised if Jerry Jones, uh, made that signing or, or Steven Jones, or even if Mike McCarthy would do that, I'd be, or I'd be very surprised, uh, from that standpoint anyway, but a good question as far as in the locker room, uh, Cooper Rush is going to cause any kind of drama. He's he, we know he's number two. We know Cam would be number two as well. If he came in, which again, I think it's a long shot, but as far as in the locker room right now, um, I think right now there's no there's it's it's uh, unquestioned uh, that Dak Prescott is the leader in that in that locker room. And bringing Cam in, there might be some questions from other people outside the fence on who is the leader. So uh, I think sometimes when you bring in a player like that with that personality, those questions will arise. James, again,
2: once again, I mean, I, I just absolutely love that response from Ed. I can't speak highly enough about how he can articulate his thought process. And I, I largely agree with him. But I think that in terms of a leadership with them not being a frontline guy, that like he said as an unquestioned leader. I don't think that Cam Newton has ever been I don't ever recall anybody saying that Cam was a bad teammate at any point. You know, he has he does have the flamboyance. he has his hats, he has their persona. But of course it kind of fits what the Dallas Cowboys do, because we have an owner that's like that. So when you look at it in that response, um, Cam Newton can sell tickets. Now, one place that a player like Cam Newton can do come in and be a benefit to the Dallas Cowboys, you really look at the New Orleans Saints. You had Drew Brees doing his thing, and they bring Tyson Tyson in. And this is the thing that teams and players and fans fail to realize how important that 12 command is. If you bring the excitement of a can, knowing that he could break a, a big play at any time, it's going to bring a certain level of, of vigor to the crowd, which is going to transfer through to the players. And it's not always what you say and what you do in the locker room, but it's what you do on the field. And if people can gain that respect for who you are on the field, it makes it easier for you to, to, to be a locker room presence that people are drawn to. Because at the end of the day, they're all going to do what it is they want to do. But I think that the thing that can can bring versus any other quarterback that's on the roster right now, anybody that's on the free agent list will do. He can bring that level in of excitement that will get that crowd into the game, that will make the whole entire
1: team function better. That's not it. And there's that
0: moment of silence. I'm just so thrilled to have both you guys on at the same time, because e- even though I'm the conductor, I'm enjoying the ride my own self between Ed and between James. I mean, you couldn't ask for a better first segment of our podcast. Uh, <clears throat> so you both, both you guys bring up good valid points on whether he's a locker room guy, whether he's not a locker room guy. And like you said, James, the production on the field should be how one is, measured. Uh with that being said, <laughs> and we know Jerry Jones or Stephen might be make some move that will make us scratch our heads. So if let's just play the hypothetical game if he does bring Cam Newton in. Basically what you're looking at is because it's established right now, Cooper Rush is the number two quarterback. What happens if Cooper Rush, by chance, happens to beat out Cam Newton for that number two spot. How well does that set with Cam Newton being relegated to a number three position? And how does that affect the team chemistry moving forward? Because basically the the narrative is kind of almost like the Raiders bringing in Colin Kaepernick for a... Oh, there's a Colin Kaepernick reference. Wow. That's just like them bringing him in for a workout, but what happens if he fails? So, now you have to look at the narrative. What happens if Newton does get signed, he comes in and he's looking at a number three spot behind Cooper Rush? How does that set well with Cam? Like I say what does it do
1: as far as team chemistry? Because that could be a combustible part. Yeah. Um, I think it's, uh, he's either number two or he's not on the roster. And I, I think the other point that I didn't make, and I, and I should have made this, we want Dak to be challenged. I want him to look over his shoulder and say, you know what, if I don't get it done, there's a dude behind me that will. That's what I'm kind of looking, you know, a, a guy that's not, he's a starter. Again, a lot of guys on our site are going to say, get rid of him, sign this guy, we all know the Cleveland Browns have gone through 31 quarterbacks looking for that one guy, right? So when I hear this stuff where well, you know, draft this guy, they should have done this, the if and if and if game, right? That game is over with, man. We have to go with uh, who's the quarterback now. Yes, I, I want to see Dak challenge for sure. Did you kind of make him, make him uncomfortable a little bit, right? Like, hey, there's a guy there waiting to maybe take my job. But uh, it, it's either he's number two or he's not on the roster. That's the bottom line. He's not going to be a number three. There's no chance. So that's opinion. And, Uh-oh. what was that? There, yeah. If he signed, if he signed, he's a number two, or he's not on the roster. All right, James. Wow.
2: I mean, I, I couldn't have said that any better myself. Um, I'm with Ed in the sense that if he does not make it as a number two, um, he definitely wouldn't be a number three. But I, I do believe that you made a. You said it hypothetically speaking, correct? Huh? Yeah. You said hypothetically speaking. Yeah,
0: hypothetically I, speaking. Yep.
2: Yeah, I in a hypothetical situation, um, I don't, I don't think it would sit well because Cam, unfortunately, I think if he, it, it, with his former status in the league, being down to number three, that right there would be a little bit too much for him to handle. And I think at that point, he would become a distraction in the locker room because at that point, he would still seek the attention that he would have hoped to have as the prestige as a player. But when him being third string behind a guy that was cut by the Cowboys, which was a quarterback needy team, then went to New York and was cut by the Giants, which is a quarterback needy team, and now he's in third string in Dallas. I think that that would be too much for him to overcome, and I think that at that point he would become a cancer in the locker room. So, in that regard, when you speak of it hypothetically, it would be it would impact the Dallas Cowboys in a very negative standpoint from a negative standpoint, but to your point and to Ed's point, having Dak Prescott with that guy, as you said, behind him, that's going to push him and say, okay, I know that I've got to do better in certain situations. I think that that right there would be a win-win situation all the way around because at the end of the day, yeah, Dak does need, uh, he, he does need that push. I mean, every every player needs to know there's any second somebody can come in and take their job. And if you have somebody come in and sub packages, running plays, especially if they're successful, it's just going to make that push that much harder to make sure that he does not get the team or potentially get the team in a situation where we're in these third and long situations, these second long situations. So it would be a win-win uh, in that scenario when you speak non-hypothetically
0: think it sounded good thus far. So now let me kind of shift around a little bit because we're talking Dak, we're talking Cam, and since since this is the Cowboys' true chat room in the form of a podcast, let me ask this question. Are you guys impressed with the draft? Can we see a rise of Ezekiel Elliott? Because, you know, he has taken on his share of criticism so much to the point to where some are saying that Tony Pollard should be RB1 and Zeke should be RB2. But do you think that the line is improved? I mean, let some guys get away. Maybe they should have gotten away. We picked up a few guys, and Zeke seems to be thrilled about the addition of some of the new linemen. That he is saying that y'all gonna see the old Zeke. So, what do y'all think about Zeke's status?
1: Um, you know what? I think uh, you know they brought in the kid from Tulsa, in, in and in they, they you know drafted as a left tackle. They're gonna move him inside, and I think a lot of people were concerned about the number of penalties he had incurred uh in, at Tulsa you know he, he led the team in penalties he's a mauler, though he's a, and I think they can work on technique uh look they they tried that with Connor Williams they tried to bulk him up it didn't he, he's getting uh you know he's getting pulverized he's getting blown up a lot right Tyler Tyler Beattis is still there uh, I was looking at a little bit of film from uh, training camp. It looks like he bulked up, but it's you know, it's about technique, right? The great centers of the uh, of the past, Travis Frederick and Mark Sipnoski, was undersized but knew how to use leverage. So James knows a lot more about lineman technique than me. So, you know, they've got a Josh Ball that was a swing tackle last year. They're pretty excited about the fifth-round pick. Now, uh, the line, uh, you know, you let L'Aral Collins go, and, uh, you know, he dropped off so quick. Uh, he came out of college or played guard, right? Uh, You know, he really looked good. And when he got his money and then hurt his hip, he was never the same. It it surprised me how quick he dropped off. That line dropped off quick when Frederick retired. Uh, You know, in Ron Leary, uh, people remember how good of a left guard he was, and I don't know that they ever adequately replaced him. So, uh, you know, I got to say this about Zeke, and I've said this on several chat rooms. Uh, we, we, we've we uh, seen the best of Zeke. Those years are behind him. You know, that 2016 burst is gone. We used to see him hurdle tacklers, use the stiff arm, volume chunk yards, six, eight, 10, 12, the feed me, me all the time, right? We don't see that as much anymore. And A lot of it's overuse. Now, Pollard taking the place of Zeke as far as blitz protection? No. I mean, Zeke is still a heck of a third down uh, back and, uh, you know, he can, he's a good receiver out of the backfield. Uh, Pollard might be the you know more more shifty back at this point with speed but as far as the overall package I I'll still take Ezekiel Elliott and at that point at this point uh, in his career and with the contract that he's uh, receiving he's not going to the bench I don't care what anyone says the money he's making he's not going to sit on the bench
2: yeah i mean I, I fully agree with that um and looking at uh Zeke Elliott i, I firmly and based on the the addition of Tyler Smith coming in and moving in the left guard. What what a lot of people don't realize is uh, from a technique standpoint, um, a lot of his penalties were acquired when he was having to reach out on the edge and stop a speed rusher. It wasn't counting moves. It wasn't anything like that. He was just getting beat off the edge and he was grabbing guys. When you move inside, you had a protection of a tackle on one side and the guard on the other, which means that you just simply focus on, defeating the guy that is before you and he has full man strength at 21 years old. He has excellent feet. He's he's not very coordinated right now with his hands and his feet, which is not a problem, but which is part of his problem, but you don't, it's not as important inside as it is outside. So once he gets his hands on you, he's going to destroy you. So as it relates to Zeke, I fully expect Zeke to be above 4.5 yards per carry this season and as to Ed's point, he's not making you miss anymore. And to be honest with you, he kind of was, wasn't was like that past 2016, but Dallas did such an excellent job of bringing in uh, receivers to block downfield. And that right there allowed Zeke the additional yards. And coming into this year, we now have guys, I feel, James Washington, uh, Jalen Tolbert, Michael Gallup. These are all got uh, C.D. Lamb. These are all guys that go hard and hustle all the time. I know everybody says Amari Cooper has this thing, whereas he, you know, he's a great route runner and he truly is, but he did not give full effort in my opinion at all times, particularly in the blocking game. This is where Dallas will increase will improve considerably this year because we won't have Connor Williams getting pushed back into the backfield all the time. It's go, uh, Tyler Smith is going to make Biotis better. And with these receivers getting out the things downfield, blocking, I think that you're going to see some, choke, some bulk runs. Because right now, Zeke Elliott is a volume rusher that's not very efficient. He, he gets exactly what is blocked. So if the player's blocked to pick up five yards, Zeke will get five or six yards. Zeke is not getting 10, 15, 20 yards to chunk runs anymore because that's not who he is by himself, because he struggles to make people miss. People talk about health. People talk about things of this nature. But I said about two years ago that especially as thickly uh, thick muscled muscle as he is, he's going to start to have soft tissue injuries, which is exactly what's kind of sort of happening to him right now. And we start getting in these soft tissue injuries to the it affects your joints. Once your joints start breaking down, you're not longer explosive as you used to be. So he needs he's gonna leave, need a lot more support. But to the point, keep an eye on Tony Pollard this year. Should Todd, should Tony Pollard be a running back one in Dallas? No, he shouldn't. Because I don't think that physically he will be able to make it through a full season as a running back one. But and and using him in spot uh spot carry and so on and so forth and, and put them out wide and letting him do his thing out there i think it is an excellent sele- uh, selection but it has it comes down to what kellen moore can scheme up and right now he is not showing the ability to scheme tony pollard properly Thank tony you. pollard should be more of an eric metcalf a terry metcalf type of running back Something that we had, something we haven't had since Lance Dunbar. Because you remember the dynamic that Lance Dunbar brought this team. Tony Pollard is two times better than Dunbar. But right now we don't have an offensive coordinator who sees it. Thank you. And I
0: believe that's why, to this point, Jerry Jones also brought in another offensive coordinator. That should tell you something. Think about this fact right here. Kellamore was brought in to the interview for several jobs during the offseason. Button hired. Then to make things a little bit more quirky, Jerry Jones said, You know what? I think I need another offensive coordinator to help Kellen Moore. Now we had just a tad bit under five minutes and some change. Let's have this Kellen Moore conversation because he needs to be exposed
2: as well.
1: Hello? Hey. Kellen, um- You know what? uh, When things were going good early in the season, I thought, uh, you know, he was uh, the schemes were working well. Right. Uh, Everyone was getting uh, fed. Everybody was uh, happy. Um, Remember, uh, they beat the Chargers without five starters. Zeke Elliott actually ran the ball well that game uh, in in Los Angeles. And uh, the Chargers are fun. I don't care what anyone says. They're a formidable team. Uh, Herbert's a very good quarterback. I thought that was an impressive win. So. Taking Tampa Bay down to the wire, right? I mean, they should have won that game. They really should have. The kicker missed two extra points and a a makeable field goal. So um, I thought, and then they, uh, but remember too, uh, they didn't want to run the ball that game, right? They uh, they passed, uh, I think Prescott passed 45, 50 times. Uh, You know, he he had a good game uh, passing the ball, but uh, they didn't run the ball. So I think as the uh, in the middle of the season, I started uh, wondering, okay, you know, they, they went through that offensive slump against Denver, against the Raiders, you know, against lose, uh, you know, against Washington, uh, they did beat them, but uh, you know, it, all of a sudden the uh, the the uh, yards, uh, Prescott had a great game at uh, New England, right, in overtime throwing that pass to C. D. Lamb, and then then later in the year, it's like, okay, what's going on with the offense, man? I mean, you got uh, Cooper, uh, you got Lamb, you got Cal, and then he got hurt. You know Noah Brown's an effective uh, fourth receiver. Uh, Blake Jarwin hasn't been Blake Jarwin since uh, two years ago, but he's you know he's he's, uh, he used to be a pretty decent receiver. Dalton Schultz is uh, one of uh, Prescott's main targets when he feels a safety valve, right? So um, I I wondered what happened. And a friend of mine from here, from Albuquerque, Daryl Chestnut played for the Lobos, uh, New Mexico Lobos. Here, running back, him and Amari Cooper are very good friends. And I kind of you know he was going to be on my show today, but he couldn't make it. Uh, we're going to do it next week, but I asked him, what does Amari say? You know, what, what did Amari? I wanted to know what Coop said, because they're very good friends, and he said he thought it was more business. In other words, was it schemes? Was it more? What was it? Because Daryl knows football, and he said it was more, they, he thought it was a business decision. They were going to move on from Cooper, but I can't see anybody telling Dak don't throw to coop. I was kind of wondering, why is he getting less targets? But I'll say one thing, James, as you said earlier, there's times with his body language, if he's not getting passes, you can tell by his body language, he checks out. I've said that two years ago. I saw him. Oh, yeah. I saw him when sometimes he'd get frustrated. And he, again, an amazing route runner. Amazing, right? One of the best route runners we've seen, there's no question. Really but balls. I think sometimes when things don't go his way, I think I, I saw a lot of pouting. So, but my friend, who knows him very well, said it was a business decision. They were going to move on from him, but I can't see anyone telling Dak, don't throw to Cooper. I can't see that. So that's just what he, he, uh, he said. And, again, he's very good friends with Amari Cooper. So I think Kellen Moore started out well, kind of flamed out in the middle. And then against San Francisco, they put up, what, 14 points. So I think there's a lot of questions coming into the season about Kellen Moore.
2: Yeah. I I actually made a post on Facebook about Kellen Moore, and this was actually before the Denver game because I had seen, like, uh, certain things, certain situations whereas. He was not building, because I used to be an offensive coordinator and head coach. I call plays. So he got away from doing the things that we that, that we were doing well. He did not build on, he did not build on successful plays from the past because what I would do is I would take one base concept as a as a coordinator and and do 10 plays out of it. I'm, I'm gonna give you the same look, I'm gonna give you the same action. And I'm gonna I'm gonna allow my I'm gonna sit back and acknowledge how the defense reacts to what you do. So if I if I run a sweep and I and I check I check the depth of the safeties, okay, are you creeping up. At this point, I'm gonna give you that same action, and I'm gonna run I'm gonna run a 999. I'm gonna shoot all my guys downfield because at that point, you know you got you got everything slide down. And the one thing that Telemore did not do is he did not build on successful plays. He would actually literally run the same play over and over. And over again. And the key thing to understanding what a defense is gonna do is free snap motion. This is something that Kellen Moore stopped doing after about week six. And once he fell off of his aggressive nature that he went right. with early in the season, Sorry to interrupt you. He started to fall back into the to the Jason Garrett, to the Jason Garrett scheme. Once he, once he did that, we became predictable again. And he never actually made the adjustment beyond that. From we got five seconds better, here. From week seven. Yeah, he 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 just
0: didn't adjust. It's the A Train Sports Talk Podcast, your host and conductor, Anthony Smith. Want to let you know that this podcast is listener supported. That's right. Driven by you, the listener. So if you want to advertise or sponsor a segment, simply reach out to me at 316-553-2010. Or hit me up at a.trainsportstalk at gmail.com to get your ad or sponsorship grant on this podcast once again a train sports talk podcast your host and conductor anthony smith You're listening to the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. Buckle up and enjoy the ride. Welcome back to the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. In case you're wondering what happened in that last segment, in radio terms, it's called it a hard out.
1: Ed, you know something about that, right? Oh yeah, man. There's you know we've got to take a lot of breaks from what we do, and I had to get used to them. Sometimes they uh, they you know if they cut cut it off, and that's uh that's got to get to the sponsors, pay the bill, man. I get it. Right. So we had what
0: we we'll called in hard out, and this will happen. James paused at the right time, so it wouldn't seem like we cut him off. So we're back for this segment here, and uh, we're basically roasting Kellen Moore because one of the things we can say about Kellen Moore is, like you say, prior to that Denver game, they had a good balance going on. But during during the Denver game and games beyond that, the offense became very predictable, very stagnated. It's almost as if the other team knew what the Cowboys were doing. If you want to make matters even worse, just look at the playoff game. How is it that the 49ers missing key players on their defense is still wreaking havoc in Cowboys backfield oh and we're not going to talk about 14 seconds so James we're going to let you go ahead and pick up where you left off pick up where you
2: left off at in that last segment Okay. It, like like I was saying before, um, I, I think that he struggles with making in-game adjustments. Um, uh, He actually got better in 2021 in the scripting portion of it, which is about the first 15, 20 plays. Everybody's complaining about, oh, what Dallas said, Dak's got all these three and outs, three and outs, three and outs. And why does Dak wait until the fourth quarter to start playing football? So if you really look at it for what it is, if you script the first 20 to 25 plays and you're doing three and outs, you're taking basically your first, three or four possessions based on what it is that your offensive coordinator has scripted. And then once you get into that period where that can sort of ad-lib and do what he do, then he takes off. This is what the people who, who are clueless about how offensive, how, how schematics and how play calling works, they always want to blame the quarterback for things that are not going early in games. But if you really think about it, this has been going on in Dallas for a long time, ten years or so, where we don't necessarily get off the fast starts, and it comes back to bad to bad scripting and no, and and the lack of in game adjustments. When you talk about the San Francisco football game, Fred Warner, actually the linebacker, uh, actually came out and said that you know he was they, they did a segment on him. He said that he knew uh, based on an alignment that all he had to do. I mean, he literally paid no attention to the play action in the backfield. He just ran to the scene. And that right there is, that he did that three, four, five, six times. He said, all based on film study. He said, I picked, it was something we picked up on in film study and we just weren't going to let Dallas do it because we knew that they, they were not going to attack the perimeter run. And he said, all he had to do was play along the seams. And when they went to that, to that, to that, that, that three by one set, that two by two set, he said he knew to go up to scramble to the weak side opposite of Dalton Schultz, because of course, Dalton Schultz is not necessarily a vertical threat. So he could actually scrape over and, and take out that side of the field and then skate back over to the middle of the field to take out shots if he needed to. So it was like, to your point, it was definitely about predictability and it comes down once again, to pre-snap motion. When you have an athletic linebacking core like the San Francisco 49ers have, you have to attack them and make them spread out because at that point, if you can get them to run them along the seams, running along the numbers, then you can sit down inside and make the shorter passes over the middle and at that point get everything drawn in. And then that's when you attack the deep, the deep quarter flats on the second level and even vertically over down the seam. But that's not what Dallas was doing. Dallas was running a strict vertical concept with nothing horizontally coming up underneath. And it was it's very easy to defend. The going back to the Cam Newton element when you do that. If you go vertical like that, you're opening up passing lanes left and right that Cam Newton can take off and run. It's not—it's a no-brain. At the end of the day, he might not be who he was in 2015, but when you got a quarterback that's 6'5 and 240 pounds that can break tackles, if you run these guys off, you got to save your linebacker that's got out of position. He's got eight, ten, twelve 12 yards before he's even touched. So I just wanted to jump back on the Cam Newton things that relates to the legs because, you know, yes, he's not that guy that he used to be, but he's still a guy that can be in effect. And in that in that respect, a guy like Cam Newton can take the onus off of Kellen Moore having to beat the defenses with his mind.
0: So, with that being said, then, because we know with Cooper, he's pretty much going to manage the game like he did in Minnesota. With Dak Prescott, they want to protect their investment. Case in point, I can't think of what game it was last year, and They were like, "Why is Dak running the ball?" And I mean, it created a firestorm. Like, no, you just came off an injury. We're trying to protect you, especially all the money we have invested. So, I guess case in point, that's where a cam does come into play. So now it's heads or tails: pick up Cam, sign him, or don't sign him. I mean, because with Cooper, you know what you're getting in the end. I mean, hey, I appreciate that win, but here. Now Cam, like you say, as that extra element. So, like I say, I see both you guys' point on the Cam Newton situation. So, now where does Dallas
1: go from? What is the as far as as far as signing Cam or not signing him? Yep,
0: because I'm gonna let y'all have y'all's final say on why Cam should be and why Cam shouldn't be
1: signed to the Cowboys. You know, made a he made a good point about quarterbacks and when Prescott, you know, when Dak uh, ran out of the pocket, he he he's very effective at doing it, right? When you just you know, when you uh, suffer an injury the way he did, right? Uh, and it was gruesome. Let's be honest, it was gruesome. Uh, I've seen Joe Theismann get hurt. Uh, you know, I've seen some gruesome quarterback injuries. Uh, you know, uh, Alex Smith, right? I've seen some uh, gruesome injuries over my. 50-some years of watching the NFL, uh, quarterbacks that run with reckless abandon sooner or later are going to get caught. You know, Randall Cunningham in Green Bay back in the day, right? Who ran like Randall did? Nobody ran like that guy. Jeez, that guy was used to scare me to death when I was a Cowboy fan back in the day in the last two minutes because he was going to find a way to win, and he usually did. Uh, not a great pocket passer, right, but great athleticism, could punt the ball, right? So I think any quarterback uh, that has run like that is normally is going to catch up with them. That's what happened to, uh, to Dak a little bit. I didn't I didn't blame him for not running as much last year. I wish he would have, you know, And, and uh, but there's a little psychological factor that I can't speak to, uh, to about that injury. I can't say anything about it and say how it affected his play or his running. I would kind of be a little nervous about it, to be honest with you, but I guess, you know, people are going to say he gets paid. He should do whatever he's got to do, and hopefully this year we'll see more of a... Uh, a guy that uh, ventures out when he needs to and be smart about it. Now, James's point about Newton bringing in uh, some packages for him, I, I see his point. I do, you know. Uh, and, and I think one of the things, too, is when you're behind the chains like that, second and 15 and second and 16, it's tough. It's tough, right, for football teams to overcome those down and distances. The other thing we didn't mention were the numerous penalties the offensive line had, right? They had a lot cool. of penalties last year. I remember Dak would make, some, you know, good play, uh, holding, holding, holding. You know, a lot, of, a lot of penalties by the offensive line, so they have to clean that up. So I just got to say I, I'll be surprised. And again, I'll say that shocked if they sign cam Newton, i I don't think it's going to happen for the reasons that i mentioned Uh, i just don't see it happening all right
2: and 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 i agree i i I really i mean it's a it's a fun thought to to actually have a guy like cam you know kind of that swiss army night type of thing that can come in and do this and that to the point i don't think dallas will sign him i think that uh Jerry Jones is uh, dedicated to a fault. For some reason, they've taken a a liking to Cooper Rush. I really don't get it myself. But um, the pros and signing, uh, I've already touched on. You know, it becomes a chess match when you're dealing with a guy like Cam Newton. Because if Cam Newton was in, in certain packages against the 49ers, Dallas wins that football game. Because at this point, Fred Warner understands that he just can't run with his back turned down the seam looking at receivers. Because one thing about Cam is he can take that one step back in the pocket and take off running in the seam. And if you got your back turned, he's already twenty yards downfield by the time you catch him. And I think that when you have a quarterback like Dallas's court offense right now, everybody knows that Dak Prescott's not going to run, so they're gonna they're gonna run their linebackers underneath eight, ten yards downfield because they know that we don't have any horizontal concepts. Everything is vertical, so you can actually compress. You can keep your safety. You can play your corners off, slide your linebackers underneath, and keep your safety uh, too high over the top. And it's, it's, it's very limited areas in which Dak Prescott can pass the football. That's why we can't succeed against better teams, better defensive teams because they have the better talent. They have the better schemes, and we just simply cannot succeed in that situation the one thing that a guy like Cam will bring is if he starts running, those linebackers are not eight, 10 yards downfield. Those linebackers are in are six or seven yards in and they're stationary, which is going to open up the middle of the field. Ultimately, this is where Dallas wants to pass the football. And you can tell it because this is where we're flooding our receivers to. But if you have linebackers that are playing at a six-yard depth versus a 10-yard depth, then that right there is going to open up two yards of passing windows for Dak Prescott thing. Because all of a sudden you don't have to worry about the linebacker jumping in deflecting the ball and getting tipped to the safety. You're giving your 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 receivers who at the end of the day can beat these guys on these deep crosses. We have players that can they can win on routes. We don't have a scheme that supports that. And that's the issue that Dallas is having. And when bring in a pro for Cam Newton, is he's going to have he's going to have those safeties basically a quarter depth. They're going to be about 12 yards off the line of scrimmage because they're going to assume that he's not going to look to pass. And the one thing that he still has the ability to do, once again, if he's in rhythm, he can throw those passes. And that same pass down over the middle, over that safety will be a beautiful thing if he can hit it to Jalen because I'm very impressed with this. I mean, I know he's a rookie and rookies normally don't, normally don't, don't do things with Jalen, don't do much, you know, coming into the league, but, I think that with this Jalen Toba kid, I'm I'm I am very impressed with who I, I watched film on this guy. I like the way he runs routes. He has sneaky, he's 6'3, 190 pounds long. He can get vertical and he has good hands. He tracks the ball well. And I the sky, I think the sky's the limit for the guy, but we we it definitely needs to be scheme right. But going back, I'm sorry to your question, I got off track right quick. I got excited. Uh Cam Newton with his ability to beat you with his arm and his legs will be a very good addition in sub packages for the Dallas Cowboys.
0: Well, y'all couldn't have said it
2: any better. And
0: as a programming note, gotta let you know that Anchor is powered by Spotify. So with that being said, you guys pretty much know what my poll question will be. Should the Cowboys sign Cam Newton? That will be the poll question. So those of you who listen to this podcast, please cast your vote. Also, do me a favor. Give me a five-star rating. I would really appreciate that. I want this podcast to blow up, especially with great guests like James and Ed. You can ask for a more informative, straight-talk cowboy podcast than what you get in today. This ought to be the number one rated podcast just for these, just for these two segments right here. So I want to thank my two guests for being on the show today. And I have to say like this, I am very honored to have you guys on, and we will have to do this again, not one-on-one, but one-on-two. You guys are welcome on the
1: train anytime. All right. I love Thanks. it. Thanks so much for having uh, having us, Anthony. Uh, James, man, good to talk to you and share these, uh, Cowboy opinions on a team that we're very passionate about, man. It's uh, good to hear your uh, your takes. Hey, absolutely, and you as well, Ed.
2: I really appreciate what you're doing, brother. Keep up doing what you're doing, and Anthony, you do the same, brother, and I'm always going to be here for you. Just let me know, and I'll be here anytime you want me. All right,
0: appreciate you guys. I'm going to cut you guys loose here, and when I come back, I will have some more talk as I'm going to get into some NBA talk with another guest. So stay tuned. It is the A-Train Sports Talk podcast with your number one conductor, Anthony Smith, coast-to-coast coast, in the Oh, I can't use that. That's a Ben Maller tag tagline. Anyway, I'll be back after a word from my sponsor.
2: This is Tracy, host of the Moonstar Podcast, and you are listening to A-Train. Buckle up, baby, and enjoy the ride. Woo!
0: Welcome back to the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast with your number one conductor, Anthony Smith. What a great first segment and second segment we had. James Goodwin, Ed Nunez, bringing some light to the Cam Newton situation and other aspects of the Dallas Cowboys in the debut of Point and Counterpoint. I enjoy those guys. They are like brothers to me. But now we're going to shift gears. We're going to talk a little bit of NBA as the NBA finals are on us. But there's a couple of takeaways from the Eastern Conference finals and comments that were made. And one particular star player who balled out, whose name has come up, even outside of basketball, well within the perimeters of basketball, but outside of team that he plays for. One Jimmy Butler had three very profound words for a Boston Celtic player. Jimmy Butler had a three-word message for Jason Tatum after game seven. Miami came up just short in game seven's final seconds, but that didn't stop heat star Jimmy Butler from giving Jason Tatum and Celtics and the Celtics their respects once the clock hit double zeros. It's your time, Butler told the 24-year-old after the 196th loss. As a matter of fact, here's a little bit of that sound clip, if we can pull that Let's try that once more.
1: You can overhear Kyle Lowry tapping Jason Tatum on the chest, saying, "Hey, go win it, go win that thing." And Jimmy Butler, right there, Jeffy had a shot to get Miami the lead.
0: You might have faintly heard him say, "It's your time." Both Tatum and Butler put up outstanding performances in the do-or-die Eastern Conference Finals game. The Celtics star put up 26-10 and 10 in the win, while Jimmy Butler played all 48 minutes for Miami and dropped 35. The last two minutes and 46 seconds of the fourth quarter is where things really got crazy. Down 11, the Heat fought their way back to cut it to two with about 20 seconds left and the ball. He does everything. He's a superstar. And here is Jimmy Butler on Jason Tatum. He just he does everything. Shoot the ball, um,
1: can play in a pick and roll. He passes the ball incredibly well. Um, gets out in transition. Um, and he's uh he's a superstar and he, he deserves that. They deserve the win. And you know, um I wish him the best moving forward but uh He's one hell of a player, that's for damn sure.
0: That was Jimmy Butler on Jason Tatum. Jimmy Butler snatched the rebound and came down court looking for the kill shot, pulling up for three and missing off the front of the rim. The Celtics were able to to corral the errant shot with about 11 seconds to go, effectively doing Miami in. Now, Boston moves on to his first NBA Finals since 2010 where they'll face the Golden State Warriors. But that is not all that came from that game. As Bam Adebayo on Jimmy Butler after Miami Heat dropped Game 7 to Boston Celtics says you can put him in that category of superstars. The Miami Heat lost a heartbreaker on Sunday night when they just missed out on a chance to advance to the 2022 NBA Finals. After trailing for much a game, seven against the Boston Celtics on Sunday, the Heat blazed back late in the fourth quarter with just seconds on the clock. Jimmy Butler had a chance to put the Heat in the lead with a three-pointer. Sadly, he missed the shot. Despite that failed attempt, Heat big man, Bam Adebayo, had words of strong praise for Butler after the game. Adebayo claimed that Butler should be considered one of the league's true superstars. He says, you can put him in that category of superstars. There are many who do not believe that Butler is amongst the upper echelon of players in the NBA. After all, he's only been named an All-Star six times in his career. However, when the playoffs come around, Butler has proven time and time again. That he can turn it up to a different level and truly become one of the more dominant players in the league. In the Heat's playoff run this season, Butler averaged 27.4 points, 7.4 rebounds, 4.6 assists, and 2.1 steals per game. He had multiple masterful performances, including four games where he scored 40 points or more. Sadly, it wasn't enough for the Heat, and they will now watch the rest of the playoffs from home. When Butler joined the Heat a couple of years ago, he made it clear that his main goal was to win a title in South Florida. While he's accomplished so much already with the team, he has yet to accomplish that. He'll look to change that next year. So another question of interest is this one right here. Seeing that Jimmy Butler didn't make first, second, nor third team. Was that a serious disrespect to one Jimmy Butler? As a matter of fact, let me go on record and ask this question. When it comes to the playoffs, and the answer is probably obvious, would you rather have Jimmy Butler or James Harden? Matter of fact, if you were to ask Joel Embiid that question, what do you think his answer would probably be? If you recall, Troll Embiid, since he likes to be on Twitter, made some references saying Miami could use another star. Some people have called Joel Embiid's tweets recently as immature. It's no secret that there has been a connection between Jimmy Butler and Joel Embiid. They enjoyed playing together briefly during their time in Philadelphia. However, pre-Daryl Morey, the Sixers brass decided not to give Jimmy Butler an extension. And off to South Beach, he went. Whose loss was that now? I think that was Philly's loss and Miami's game. So now, the next question is, with the recent tweets that Joel is putting out, is this Joel's way of saying, I want out of Philly? Could Philly be on the verge of blowing this whole thing up? The Doc Rivers experiment. The James Harden experiment. Is this the beginning of a toxic situation in Philadelphia? Because it's a known fact. In most markets where there's a superstar player, you have to appease your superstar. If your superstar player isn't happy, nobody's happy. And even though Joel Embiid is a media darling, it seems like there are signs that are saying that maybe Philly is not the place for me as well either. Ben Simmons is gone. James Harden comes in. looks good for the first few games. And then he does James Harden things. Come time when it's needed the most, He does the magician act, plays Houdini, and disappears. So, could we somewhere down the line see the possibility of another teaming up of a Joel Embiid and a Jimmy Butler? Knowing Daryl Morey, the way he hung on to Ben Simmons, my bet is there is no way in the world he will get rid of a Joel Embiid. So what can Philly do to make Joel Embiid happy? Anyway, as we're up on the playoffs, the NBA championship between Boston and Golden State, it'd be interesting to find out from you, the listening audience, who's your pick to win it all? I would say the Warriors is the fresh team. They they're well rested, but they're also battle tested and they are used to these moments. The moment won't get too big for them. You have your Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green. That's your core right there. You have your up-and-comers like Jordan Poole. You also have key players like Andrew Wiggins. And you have other guys that can also come off the bench. You have a good mix of your core players, but you also have a good mix of players that are very valuable role players. And even though Boston is a stout defensive team, you wonder how much their lack of experience playing in these moments really matter as opposed to a veteran-laden team like a Golden State Warriors. Of course, we've seen stranger things happen, whether it be in the NBA or whether it be college. You Take a look back to that Villanova team that knocked off Georgetown. Or how about North Carolina State knocking off Houston? Could it happen to that same magnitude with Boston versus the Warriors? Are the Celtics dealing with injury issues? Can Marcus Smart put the clamps on who's ever he, whoever he's assigned to, especially with him being Defensive Player of the Year? One thing you can't take away from the Celtics, though, is their last performance in Game 7 when everybody was wondering if Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown would be on the same page. Not only were they on the same page, but <clears throat> But you throw a Marcus Smart in the mix and the first time this has happened in 35 years that you had three guys averaging 20 plus points and more than five assists in one game. However, I'm going to go on record and say it like this. I believe the title is Golden State's for the taking. However, they're going to have a dog fight on their hand. And I wouldn't be surprised if this series goes another seven games, six at the minimum. But don't be surprised if it goes to full seven. With that being said, it's the A Train Sports Talk podcast. Your host and conductor, Anthony Smith. We're gonna bring this train into the station. But I hope you have enjoyed today's show, especially today's guest, James Goodwin, and it Nunez in the debut of the point versus counterpoint. Check back with me tomorrow, as we will have some more to bring you. Also, I want to just say I'm coming up on episode 200, so I'm going to get some guests lined up, some local guests here in the Wichita area, and hopefully some national guests. I just can't drop names yet until I can find out for sure if I will have them on. But I want to thank each and every one of you for listening, for making this podcast as successful as it is. And there will be some more tweaks to the show. As I will be rebranding my logo soon from a Little Bit Entertainment. So, until the next time, take care of yourself and each other. Hope you had a nice Memorial Day weekend and hope you enjoy the rest of your week. Until the next time, take care of yourself. Be blessed.